Hi there, and welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. My name is Maddie Bader, and I'm the legislative intern for Missouri Farm Bureau this summer. And today I'm with Spencer Tuma, the Director of National Legislative Affairs, and B.J. Tanksley, the Director of State Legislative Affairs. Thanks for having us, Maddie. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, great job kicking us off. Uh, first time in the uh, the lead seat there, but uh, thanks for filling in for Eric Bull, who's on vacation this week. Um, and... Uh, We'll try to make it easy on you this week. Yeah, we're normally a lot of fun, so buckle up. There we go. But before we get started, though, um, since you are new to our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at Farm Bureau and some of what you've been working on. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Montgomery County, so just about an hour away from here. I went to Herman High School, and now I'm currently attending the University of Missouri, and I'm studying agricultural education and leadership. So this past summer, I've been working on different national legislative programs and things that we do with that. So just a lot of research and working with campaigns and things of that nature. And for those of you who don't know, Maddie did a great job in the Missouri Capitol with us helping to facilitate our Capital Connection program during the legislative session uh, for as long as we were able to have it. Uh, did a fantastic job both with our members and legislators. Really was a lead role in that. So thank you for all you did with that. Um, and speaking of legislators, I guess we could start talking about the primary election was held yesterday. Oh my gosh, what a roller coaster. I know Maddie has a lot of questions about the election, so I'll turn it back to her um, so she can kind of walk us through the events of yesterday and the past couple of weeks, I guess. It's kind of been ongoing. Yeah, definitely. So there was a lot of things that happened last night, but what do you guys think was the biggest shock from last night's events? Yeah, I think um, leading, I guess, probably around 10-15, we were starting mm-hmm. to see the results really start to solidify. I thought I had a large surprise, but I think, Spencer, you had the biggest surprise in the night. Yeah, so from a federal perspective, you know, we we had heard a lot about our congressional races in Missouri this year and, and certainly have some ones that we're paying close attention to. But last night... Um, a Democratic nominee by the name of Cory Bush actually defeated Congressman Lacey Clay, who has been in his um, in his current role, I believe, for 10 terms in the U.S. Congress. Very interesting. Um, Congressman Clay's father was actually a congressman before he took over that seat. And a member of the Clay family has actually held Missouri's first congressional seat since 1969. So That's incredible. It, has, it was a really big upset. Um, Cori Bush actually ran for Congress two years ago. Uh, she has a, a large progressive group that is backing her. Um, she, she did you know get several votes the last time around and, and had a little bit more name recognition this time. So I would say, at least from a federal perspective, that was certainly one of the most surprising things that we saw um, coming out of last night's election. And it didn't really appear that it was going to happen until pretty late in the evening. We kind of thought it was it was buttoned up and was a done deal. And at the very last minute, uh, she pulled off the upset. Yeah. When you talk about a large national group backing her, is there anyone else that they may have been associated with that our our listeners may know or recognize the names of? I'm so glad you asked, VJ. Uh, the group that is uh, largely funding Miss Bush's campaign um, is a, the same group that largely funded the campaign of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a congresswoman out of New York. Many of you know her as AOC. Uh, she's very active on social media. She's actually the person who wrote the Green New Deal. Um, so she certainly garnered a lot of attention in her first term as a congresswoman. She was elected two years ago, um, and it all all signs point to that she will be well on her way to another term. She's already won her primary up in New York. So uh, that's the same same group, um, very, very similar priorities that are funding uh, the race in St. Louis. Well, that certainly is a huge change in, in St. Louis yeah. area. 
Absolutely. Um, what about the state level, BJ? Anything super shocking or things you weren't quite expecting? You know, in any election, there's there's surprises. Um, I think probably the biggest surprise, you know, when you're looking at predictions, was probably in the southern district, the furthest south district, the district uh, 33 um, that crosses southern Missouri. That's to replace uh, Senator Cunningham in the state legislature. A lot of people saw um, State Representative Robert Ross as the forerunner in that, and he had been for some time. Had announced that he was running for that seat for a long time, and a lot of people saw that as having the leg up in the race. And at the last minute, um, very very close race, um, a two-year state representative from the western side of that district, Carla Esslinger, actually came out and won that race in a very, very slim margin, may even trigger a recount. Um, But at this point, it looks like she pulled the upset, and probably the upset of the night. Um, There were some other interesting races, the way they turned, but although they were surprising, not nearly as surprising as that one, where you thought you had a large prohibitive favorite, um, and and it didn't end up the way we thought it might have. That was a three-way primary. Um, And I think one of the overarching things when you look at the state Senate primaries, which we will spend some more attention kind of going through, is primaries are weird. Yeah. You know, whether they're one on one um, or if like this one, the 33rd was a three way primary. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one in far southeast Missouri that we were actually involved in um, was a four way primary and primaries just they're they're different. They're different yep. beasts. You're you're dealing with a different sect of the um, electorate, and so you don't have all the voters coming out. And, and I think that just leads to some strangeness. And, and we'll, we we can get into that. But but I think the the surprise of the night at the state level was par- probably Carla Esslinger pulling out the upset there. Um, and there is a general election opponent in that race, uh, but largely considered a strong Republican district, and, and very likely that uh, Carla Esslinger will be going from the Missouri House to the Missouri Senate. Um, and will be the next senator from the 33rd district. And you briefly mentioned it, but, you know, Missouri Farm Bureau, for the first time this year, actually got involved in primary elections. Now, the Esslinger-Ross race was not one that Farm Bureau endorsed in. That's right. I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but just kind of wanted to clarify for our listeners. Yeah, so this was the first time ever that we were able to get involved in primaries, and we were involved in three of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we ended up uh, going one for three, not a great record, um, but we were very excited to see in the 25th district, which makes up southeast Missouri and reaches over into the hills. Um, I I call the hills because I'm from that area. (laughs) So that includes Butler, Carter, and Shannon County. Um, But uh, where uh, Jason Bean, a Mm -hmm. farmer from the furthest southern part of that district, came out uh, victorious, we were very happy to see that win. Um, And actually a pretty big win for Mr. Bean. And so very excited about that. Farm Bureau members were excited about having an active farmer again in the Capitol. Mm -hmm. We have a few of those in the Missouri Senate, but it's always good to have another one. Um, strong row crop background. Uh, his father was a state representative from that district a long time. Um, and family ha- has been one of the first kind of conservative candidates from that area. And so it's neat to see that Bean family back in the Capitol. I'm very excited about having that um, that opportunity. So, Yeah, yeah perfect. Um, I know that we've heard a lot from like the presidential administration talking about mail-in ballots and the coronavirus impact on the election. Did you guys see any impact or think you see an impact about that in Missouri? You know, from my perspective, I don't know that we saw a whole lot. My polling place was, you know, it seemed about normal. Um, I live in Boone County. There wasn't a lot going on in Boone County, so it was very slow. Um, Obviously, I think, looking at the vote totals, I think they were pretty much on par with normal. Um, I do think people are looking at options. There probably were higher um, absentee ballots yeah. than we have seen in the past. Um, but 
that concern, and Spencer, you may have a different perspective, but I think that concern of the crowded polling place is probably more prevalent in the urban areas, and that I wasn't voting in Columbia of Boone County. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it may play a bigger role in November where we expect everyone to come out and vote. This was a 20-something percent turnout election. Um, November will be much more than that. So there will be some concerns as far as that goes. Yeah, no, BJ, kind of similar experience when I went to my polling place. We we certainly practiced social distancing, but there was only one other person in there voting mm-hmm. besides me, so it, was, it wasn't too difficult to do so. But, you know, I was talking to some of my counterparts at Kansas Farm Bureau, and their state has really had a big push this year for mail-in voting, and they have an open U.S. Senate seat, which is kind of what we had in 2018. Mm-hmm. And they certainly had a lot of data related to, you know, an increased number of absentee and mail-in ballots requested. I haven't seen the actual numbers. They, they just briefly mentioned it in my conversation with them yesterday about the percentage of those mail-in ballots that had been sent back versus the mm-hmm. number that went out to a voter and then maybe hadn't been returned. So, you know, it's certainly something I think as we look towards November that there's going to be a lot of attention paid to, certainly at the national level. Um, the Trump administration has made a lot of comments related to mail-in voting. Um, But I think, you know, we kind of just are going to have to kind of see how it plays out moving forward. But like BJ mentioned, as far as turnout, you know, I didn't notice anything particularly alarming about what I saw. Um, So certainly I think there are probably some instances where concerns about COVID-19 played a role, but I don't know that it impacted anybody's ability to make their voice heard, at least not from what I've been told. Yeah, and... As we gear up for November, um, I would encourage people to stay tuned to Missouri Farm Bureau. We will be helping keep people up to date on Missouri's voting options. Mm-hmm. Missouri passed some mail-in voting options uh, or expanded that early absentee and mail-in options. Um, so we'll be we'll be putting out in our publications and on our podcast voting options for folks as those deadlines come close. Because voting's actually going to begin very early, so people can request ballots, and some of them have to be notarized. Um, so we will be pushing out information about that early voting options to make sure people are comfortable and that we help turn out the vote. You know, the one thing I would like to throw in there really quickly is that I think the the virus and the impacts we've seen since March, March. mid-March, had more of an impact on the campaigns than the actual voting. Um, I think it was a major, it it changed everybody's approach to how do you run a campaign. You know, you couldn't go to the Lions Clubs Mm -hmm. meetings and the Rotary meetings and, and all of those throughout the process as you normally would to cover the ground because they weren't having meetings. And you weren't able to host large gatherings if you were a candidate because of that too. So I think it was a... I think it made it tough for candidates that didn't have the instant name recognition as the other candidates. I think it helped the incumbents and those who'd ran for office previously. I think you'll see that across the board if you look at the results. Um, One race we were involved in was in southwest Missouri, uh, which was the 29th district to replace Senator Sater. Um, That was between Mike Moon, a state representative who had been a state rep for several years, um, and um, David Cole, who, who was a former Republican Party leader. Um, but probably didn't have the name recognition in the area, and I think it made it for an uphill battle in that yeah. race. Unfortunately, for Missouri Farm Bureau, we had endorsed Mr. Cole, um, and Mr. Moon came out victorious. And I, I think um, their campaign run a successful campaign. But he did start with the leg up of having that name recognition and being well-known in the area. But I think if you look at that, uh, the impacts of corona, no doubt um, there was an impact on this election, and it was more on the campaigns. I think it ended up having more of an impact on the amount 
of male people saw. I agree I with hear, that. I hear people from my hometown being just overwhelmed with mm-hmm. mail. They were a part of a competitive primary, um, and they were overwhelmed with mailers. And I think part of that was because people weren't able to do the door knocking and go mm-hmm. to the events and lay that groundwork of a campaign. Um, instead... You know, kind of like we've all had to do. We were doing Zoom meetings and uh, conference calls and Facebook posts instead of actually being able to meet face-to-face. So I think that was probably the bigger impact. That makes sense, definitely. Um, Kind of going off of that, COVID-19 was obviously a really big part of this campaign process and a really big topic. What are some other topics that you think were, like, the biggest discussed in this campaign? So I think from my perspective, and and BJ, feel free to jump in because this is more of a statewide issue, but... This Missouri voters did pass Medicaid expansion yesterday evening Mm -hmm. uh, on the ballot, and that's something Missouri Farm Bureau was opposed to. But I think COVID-19 and the pandemic played right into that health care discussion. Yeah. You know, we're all looking for more health care, health care options, securing our hospitals. You know, even Farm Bureau spent a lot of time talking about uh, rural hospitals, and we Mm -hmm. still do. We do believe in that. But I think um, where our membership drew the line was the idea of who's going to pay for the expansion of Medicaid in the state of Missouri Mm -hmm. and the impacts on the budget. I think that's a very good point, Spencer, that um, that impacted that conversation a lot. I mean, people are thinking more about health care today than they probably ever have. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that necessarily whether or not the pandemic was going on would have changed the overall outcome of the vote. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, even from my own personal perspective, I have paid a lot more attention to healthcare issues over the past five or six months than I probably would in a year that we don't have a pandemic. So I think that impacted the conversation greatly, you know, just sitting around the kitchen table, even discussing it with your family. A couple other things that I I was hearing a lot as common themes, you know, jobs in the economy, and that ties into the pandemic as well, because we've had a lot of people lose their jobs. We've had, you know, the economy was basically shut down for several weeks. Um, So those are always kind of top line items when it comes to federal elections. But we continue to hear those themes on the state level as well. A lot of those carry right through. And then one that I heard from several of our state Senate candidates, I know as as we heard from several, BJ mentioned we did a few endorsements, was about education and broadband. And those tie together. All of that's kind of stemmed from the pandemic. We've, we've been talking about the importance of rural broadband. We've talked about rural school issues for a long time. But all of those things have been highlighted by the situation that we've been put in in the last six months. And so I heard a lot of candidates talking about how all of those things are really connected to make a really bad pun connected broadband. Oh. Yeah, sorry. I was like, oh, to, yikes. Just checking to see if we're all paying attention. I didn't have here. another word. I was like, oh, I'm going to say it. Okay, anyway. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. You heard about that. And, and uh, you know, I guess you could say corona dominated the conversation yeah. because these issues were brought to the forefront, whether it's healthcare, um, bringing jobs back as soon as we can get out of this. Um, and a lot of those Southern races, because uh, in our rural Senate elections, that's where we saw those heated um, races at the state level. Um, a lot of it was, you know, who's going to be conservative once they get to the Capitol. And that's what a lot of the conversation was about. Um, of a lot of our rural voters still have high numbers supporting uh, President Trump. And yep. so a lot of that conversation was, you know, we support President Trump. We're going to help support that agenda and we're going to try to get America back on the right track. So that's a lot of the themes uh, in addition to, you know, jobs and health care and broadband and, and doing those things we can to keep. But it was also still about the, um, the, the bread and butter, you know, low taxes and mm-hmm. conservative values. I think that as we move into the presidential election, the general election, you're not going to see a ton of deviation from some of those those issues because we haven't seen 
the the lag in the COVID cases that we've, I think, that many mm-hmm. were anticipating or even hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those issues will just continue to dominate, especially if we've got kids going back to school. You know, there, there's just a lot of things that will continue to drive voters' hearts and minds going towards November. Yeah, from a personal perspective, it's unfortunate a lot of the the virus reaction has been kind of politicized. Yeah. When I don't think there's anything political about it. It's it's healthcare, and we want everybody to be safe. Unfortunately, I think you're probably right. If we don't see everybody start to get healthy again, a lot of this is going to be politicized yeah. on both sides. And I know I'm not picking a side when I say that in any way. Um, but we want to make sure that everybody's healthy. And um, but I think that'll be a large part of the conversation because it's dominating everything we do. Um, with that being said, what should we expect to see as we move towards November in the general election? Well, I think um, you know, the top of the ticket at the state level is probably the best place to go there. Um, no surprise, the Missouri Farm Bureau candidates uh, for governor and lieutenant governor um, won overwhelmingly in their primaries, and that is uh, Governor Mike Parson, obviously, and Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. No surprises there. Um, they uh, Governor Parson will face off with the, the, the Democrat frontrunner for a long time, which is Nicole Galloway, the state auditor. And so that's not a surprise, but, I mean, that's going to be the headline of the ticket um, and going to be a lot of attention paid to that, both at the state level and from a national perspective. Those uh, those governors associations and those national groups are going to want to secure Missouri for their parties for a long time. Um, it was interesting. I saw a little tidbit of information trivia for anybody out there that cares that was saying for this is the first time in decades that yeah. a Republican governor has been elect or been nominated for a second term. They've either ran for other offices or resigned from office, not not uh, like uh, or decided not to run for a second uh-huh. term. And so this is the first time in a long time we have a Republican running again. Um, but we have endorsed Mike Parson. Um, appreciate having a farmer governor. Um, and he won overwhelmingly, even though there was a, a few others in that field. But I think that's going to be at the state level. That's going to be what dominates the ticket. Mm-hmm. Also a tip of the hat to uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. Um, we're in an interesting place in Missouri because of previous events where neither one of those ran for those positions officially <laughs> originally, um, and now here we are. And so excited to see the support for them and excited to have uh, those elections coming forward. But those will be the dominating talk uh, at the state level uh, where you have the sitting governor who's had to deal with the COVID situation, mm-hmm. um, who had a who had a strong economy going into that and has dealt with the impacts of it, um, versus the state auditor who's been in that seat for several years now and one election for that seat, so she has ran at a statewide level. So um, that will definitely get the most attention from our from, from our state level. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the presidential election is going to be a big driver federally, mm-hmm. but I guess from a Missouri federal perspective, you know, we have a lot of members of Congress who are seeking additional terms. Of course, I mentioned the upset in Missouri Congressional District 1 yesterday evening. Mm-hmm. One other race we're watching very closely as we move towards the general election, and Missouri Farm Bureau actually came out with an early endorsement for Congresswoman Ann Wagner in Missouri's 2nd Congressional District. So that covers um, parts of St. Charles County, parts of Jefferson County, and parts of St. Louis County as well. Congresswoman Wagner has been very pro-trade, excuse me, she's very pro-biotechnology. Her district is is one of the fastest growing agricultural technology districts in the country and and maybe even the world, arguably, I would say. Uh, She is facing in her general election uh, former state senator Jill Shoup, who is also from that area. 
Um, she's not been a great friend to Missouri Farm Bureau on some some issues. Um, so we certainly hope that Congresswoman Wagner will prevail and we'll be we'll be working with her in that region to hopefully um, continue to send her back to Washington. Um, you know, like I said, though, the federal uh, from a national perspective, mm-hmm. all eyes are on the presidential election. And we are looking towards probably in the next week or so. I keep hearing rumors and it keeps getting pushed back. Surprise. It's Washington. <laughs> but um, we are hearing that Joe Biden will be picking a president or vice presidential running mate over the next. That was um, supposed to happen this week, right? I thought you were going to ask me who it was going to be. And <laughs> no. I was going to. Uh, uh, I have no idea. Like, supposedly it was going to happen this week. Now, I thought so, now yeah. supposedly it's going to be next next week. Okay. Um, but you never know. So, um, but that will certainly um, bring a lot more attention to the race. There's no shortage of attention being paid anyway, but we do expect that the race will continue to heat up once Biden picks a running mate. Yeah. No, I, I, I was excited to see who the pick was going to be. I know the rumor Me mill too. really flew there. For yeah. A yeah, a lot of rumors, but but nothing confirmed at this time. And this may surprise you, but I don't have any inside track. <laughs> you <laughs> so, haven't been visiting with the Biden yeah, campaign lately. Yeah, have not lately. been talking with the Biden campaign lately. So don't don't know who the front runners are at this point. Well, there's 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 plenty of lists out there. If, if listeners are interested in finding the list Just of rumored candidates, Google, yes. Just Google it. Yeah. Uh, but that that's a good point. And and the presidential election, as it always does on even numbered years, every four years. Uh, will drive the conversation at the state level as well. Um, how that race goes and how it trends in the state is going to affect every race mm-hmm. down ticket. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. Yep, definitely. Are there any other races or anything that the listeners should keep an eye out for or just focusing on those? I think, you know, um, talking about a couple other races, you know, Missouri Farm Bureau obviously has a well-established network with Mm -hmm. other state farm bureaus around the country. And I mentioned the Senate race in the state of Kansas. That seat um, that is being vacated is um, by retiring U.S. Senator Pat Roberts, who's actually current chairman of the Senate Agricultural Committee. Mm -hmm. Very well-known figure in agricultural policy and in in Midwest politics. Um, So he is retiring. And last night, the Republican Party nominated Roger Marshall, Dr. Roger Marshall, I should say, who is a Sitting U.S. Congressman, he will be facing off against Dr. Barbara Bollier, who is the Democratic nominee for mm-hmm. Kansas Senate. Uh, should be a very interesting race. Obviously, both of them are, are MDs, so uh, I'd say it'd be a pretty fair fight. They have a lot. Of, they have some similar qualifications, but not similar beliefs. I would say, um, you know, in in the Midwest. Our senators really do work together on issues of importance to agriculture, and particularly, you know, I think of Missouri and Mississippi River issues as well. So we're paying close attention to that Kansas Senate race. Also in Iowa, Senator Joni Ernst is up for re-election this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of polling out there. Uh, believe it if you want or not. I don't. <laughs> I don't have any comments on that. But um, there's a lot of speculation about out there that that could be a tough race for her against her Democratic opponent. Uh, so that's another one that we are paying close attention to. Senator Ernst has been very good for agriculture. Very good, particularly for ethanol and biofuels as well. Um, given her position in Iowa. So those are just a couple off the top of my head that. I think might be worth paying a little extra attention. If you're in for some light reading, you might check it out. <laughs> there you so. go. 
Yeah, at the state level, um, a couple interesting tidbits that we hadn't covered were um, Senate District 3, and, and I'm going to focus mainly on rural districts. That's where a lot of our members are, are located and pay a lot of attention to. Senate District 3, which is south of St. Louis, running down into Iron County, uh, where Representative Elan Gannon um, won a, a hotly contested three-way primary, um, and there is no general election in that district. So Elaine Gannon will, for all intents and purposes, is our next senator from the 3rd District. So that's a one interesting tidbit. You know, in Missouri, sometimes you don't have those general elections. Uh, kind of looking through the list, um, we also have uh, Senator Rizzo, who's the um, m- minority floor leader in the Senate, uh, was non-contested and will be returning to the Senate. That's kind of an interesting little tidbit there where um, he didn't have a, a primary or a general election opponent. Uh, and just kind of scrolling down the list of, of races, a lot of them will be uh, contested. One that will be one to watch is um, Senator Caleb Rowden out of right here in Boone County and Cooper County area. That is going to be a race to watch for the Missouri Senate. I know there's um, also Senate District 15 in the outs, in the suburbs of St. Louis. Everybody expects the race between Senator Koenig and Representative Deb Lavender to be a hotly contested race. That will help um, or will be hotly contested and a lot of attention paid to that one. That's one that they expect to be one of the closer ones, kind of like, like I mentioned with Caleb Rowden and Judy Baker running uh, for that central Missouri seat that includes Columbia, also Cooper County, uh, and maybe a couple of others. But that that that's a another race to watch once we get to the um, the general election time. Uh, we mentioned um, Jason Bean win- winning the 25th district down in southeast Missouri. He does not have a general election opponent, so he will be our next state senator. Uh, my hometown had a hotly contested race. I'm from Cape Girardeau area, Cape Girardeau County, um, where um, Holly Rader coming out of Scott County um, won that seat by an impressive 141 votes. Close. Close, close <laughs> race. Um, and and interesting there, like we mentioned with the uh, race earlier, there may be a recount there, but but um, but st- looks to be Holly Rader will be the Republican nominee going against the Democrat in the um, in the general, um, but largely considered to be a, um, a a Republican seat. And then lastly, another race that we um, we talked about was the uh, Mike Moon race. There's no general election in that race, and so Mike Moon will be the next senator from Southwest Missouri taking over the seat that Senator Sater is vacating. Uh, there will be some hotly contested House seats, um, but the the Senate seats get a lot of attention. Missouri Farm Bureau does get involved in Senate seats um, and then races above that. We usually a lot sometimes get involved in lieutenant governor, mm-hmm. governor, and then statewide other um, and then national elections as well. When we make those endorsement decisions, those endorsement decisions are always made at the local level by our board pack trustees from the impacted counties. So when you look at um, a race in southwest Missouri that has five counties, those five counties come together, meet the candidates, and then they decide um, who we will endorse or not endorse in any given race. So that's kind of the process. And I know a lot of times people ask, well, why do you get involved in campaigns? There's always winners and losers in those things. Well, that's because that's what our members ask us to do, and that's who they chose to support in those campaigns. And that usually helps with that conversation a lot when they realize it's not somebody in Jefferson City. It's definitely right. not B.J. Tanksley or Spencer Tuma making those yep. endorsement decisions. But Farm Bureau members from those impacted areas are actually the ones um, interviewing the candidates, looking at voting records, and then deciding whether or not we should be involved in a campaign. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. We um I've seen it in my short time here. It's relatively short. Uh, I've seen it go both ways um, and always interesting conversations. It's one of the times that I'm um, 
most impressed with our membership, not that I'm not always, but when you have those conversations, they understand the complexity of the issues we're getting involved in and really weigh out the pluses and minuses of all candidates and all issues when we decide to get involved in issues. They take it very seriously. No doubt. Well, is there any other things you guys would like to add regarding any policy that's coming up, any elections, any campaigns, anything like that? Well, you know, I everybody asked me this before we started the podcast today, so I guess I'll go ahead and address it while we're here with all the listeners. Uh, Congress is trying to negotiate a stimulus bill at the moment, and uh, they've been trying to negotiate it for a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. at the moment they have still not reached an agreement. Gotcha. The House, of course, passed their version of a of a. I guess it would be like a second large stimulus bill, but it's mm-hmm. actually being called Phase Four. It's all a little confusing. I'm just going to be honest with you. So they've been they passed Phase Four in like June, mm-hmm. and the Senate said no deal. We're not taking any of this. They decided to do their own bill, as the Senate does. Um, I'm a former House staffer, so I can say that they decided <laughs> to do their own bill. The Senate, you know, they have their bill written and they release the text, and Nancy Pelosi's like, no deal surprise. So um, currently, the House and Senate leadership, so that's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, as well as senior level administrator officials from the administration, such as White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Mm -hmm. are in very, very close contact, meeting all the time, trying to figure out what is going to be in the official phase four stimulus bill. On Monday, they told us we would know by tomorrow. Yesterday, they told us we would know by the end of next week. The answer, the official answer from me is, I got nothing. I have no idea what's You're happening. Spencer, are... <laughs> you're you're always our optimistic. One. I know. You've got I, to be. I feel like this part of the conversation has taken a turn. <laughs> and it has. It really I, has. I really, um, I really just don't know. There are several. I will say, here's my optimism. There were several provisions in the House package, mm-hmm. regardless of other priorities that were included, that were overall good for helping U.S. farmers and ranchers. Gotcha. The Senate's proposal is different from the House's proposal, but it is also good for farmers and ranchers. That does give me some hope that we're going to get to a place that at least the agriculture-related provisions are something that we as Farm Bureau are going to be supporting and be advocating for. Mm -hmm. A couple of things, you know, specifically replenishment of the USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation. That's kind of top priority for us prioritizing rural broadband, and then looking at some potential changes to USDA's CFAP program to continue Mm -hmm. to allow that program to help farmers and ranchers, particularly in the livestock sector, to the maximum extent possible. When we will have a vote, I cannot say. Gotcha. I think that's a good point. It's not those ag-related provisions that are holding no. things up. It, no. What I've heard is it's largely about the unemployment yes. coverage, maybe some SNAP provisions, yep. and, and things like that. And we would assume cooler heads will prevail uh-huh. eventually, and we'll come out with a package that's good for everybody. Uh, some of those issues... They are interesting, and there Mm -hmm. are points on both sides of it. And we've heard about it even from the agriculture industry talking about keeping people employed and looking for employees. Right. Um, And so it's not easy conversations, but they'll they'll continue to work through it. I think. um, And usually, I'm not the optimistic one, especially when we're talking about Congress here. I'm so shocked. But I mean, I do think uh, cooler heads will prevail, um, and we there's 
there's benefit from passing something on both sides. And that's what makes me think in the next couple of weeks, we will see a package that includes provisions that make everyone happy. I would say, and I may end up eating my words here so you can hold me to this, I think the number of issues on which the House and Senate are far apart on is is not a large number. I think it's a handful of issues. I think by and large, there are some things that have some general consensus around them, but you mentioned unemployment insurance. That's the number one issue. Liability protection for business, mm-hmm. that's another big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the House and Senate are worlds apart on some of, some of those issues. Now, I do think mm-hmm. we're working towards something, um, but I would say the number of issues total that are causing the the lapse in discussion is is probably pretty small in comparison to everything else. Yeah, and I think I think everybody knows we got to do everything we can to keep this yeah. economy rolling down the right track um, and keep everybody moving mm-hmm. as much as possible. And for that reason, I think we will come to a place where people can agree. Yep. Gotcha. That's all I've got for now, I think, on the got. legislative <laughs> front. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the House passed the Water Resources Development Act. There I got go. really excited there. Yeah, so that happened last week. Mm-hmm. Thank you especially to Congressman Sam Graves for helping us get that through the House. A lot of priorities in there for Missouri mm-hmm. and Mississippi River um, folks who live, work, and farm along those waterways and the Osage River as well. Mm-hmm. So um, it has not passed the Senate yet, so we're still kind of in a holding pattern, but we do expect um, it actually went through the House on a voice vote, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare for it to go on a suspension like that. Um, but it was not a controversial bill at all, so we hope that it will see a smooth path in the Senate. Awesome. Good. Timeline for it in the Senate? Um, different stories on different days okay. at this point. So um, there were some that thought the Senate might also pass it on unanimous consent and basically hotline it through the Senate so that it would go straight to conference. We're now being told that there may be some ad- objections from members of the Senate's Environment and Public Works Committee, which is the mem- committee of jurisdiction for that legislation, and that they may require floor debate and a roll call vote on the bill. The bill did pass out of committee in the Senate on May 6th, actually, so it's been through committee for a while. Um, but if any member places like a hold or objects to that unanimous consent, then it'll have to go through the regular um, process. Um, but eventually, once it passes the Senate, it will go to conference and they'll work out those differences between the two chambers. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. Anything on the state level side? Um, so the the House or the Senate is in for their spe- the uh, special session mm-hmm. right now to adju- uh, to address violent crime, mainly in our urban centers. Um, but that is kind of, you know, Farm Bureau doesn't, we're against violent crime, but we're not intimately involved in these discussions, but they are back in this week. Um, looks like the bill will probably come out of committee this week, maybe be floor debated end of this week or first part of next week. It's kind of a slow process when you're in a special session. Uh, but once we get to the floor is when the rubber will hit the road on those issues. Mm-hmm. There is some disagreement over what should be included and shouldn't be included in that violent crime package. Um but we'll see pretty quickly whether or not senators are able to come to a place that they can agree to let it move to the House um, here pretty quickly. I think um, I think they will. There's strong leadership in both sides. Nobody wants to see what we're seeing as far as violent crime numbers. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but they are not good for any of our urban centers. We're seeing a lot of trouble um, in those areas, kind of across the whole state, even places you wouldn't necessarily call urban centers also. Um, so I think we'll see cooler heads prevail in that one as well. Uh, does everybody get everything they want? Probably not, um, but you'll probably see 
something move in the next week or two. Um, not a big a newsmaker for Missouri Farm Bureau, but it is something that's keeping them in the capital and keeping people busy. Gotcha. Is there anything else either of you would like to add? Anything related to politics? campaigns elections no um i think it was uh primary election night's always a big night it's uh, you know it's always exciting to see how those races are going to prevail uh thanks to all the voters who supported our missouri farm bureau elected uh our endorsed candidates um and went out to vote no on amendment two unfortunately weren't successful there um but uh i think here we go it's time to gear up for november the one issue i will start talking about because i know we are going to be strong out there um in in support of is uh, is the uh, the amendment to address the redistricting process. Uh, we're not going to talk about it by any other reason, but that's the reason we support it, is to redistrict based on population and districts of the same size to make sure that districts are represented by people that actually resemble them. We don't need spaghetti districts drawn or, or gerrymandered in the name of making them falsely competitive. Uh, competitive races are based on the candidates, uh, not their locations. And so uh, you can look at these these campaigns that happen just in the primary. And whether they're in the primary or in the general, there's a lot of competition yeah. in these Senate districts. You don't have to draw lines that make them uh, reach down into other voting centers to do so. So we will be coming out strongly um, on that amendment for the November ballot. So uh, just uh, keep everybody up to date. But that's one of the big things we'll be talking a lot about is uh, urging people for a yes vote on that amendment. I think it's time. It's time. For the quarantine question. But here we are at work. We're no longer quarantined. Maddie? That's correct. So since, like BJ said, we are at work and we're no longer in quarantine, we have to figure out what we're going to call the question because it can't be the quarantine question anymore. That's, I mean, I'm glad we're not in quarantine, but <laughs> it was just so catchy. It was. It, was. it truly was. We'll have to get our thesauruses out to find some Q words. If you who are listening have a suggestion for what we should call the question, please comment on your favorite social media platform. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms and also on Facebook. Please send them, and our lovely producer, Elizabeth Weiss, will be able to choose a new name for the former quarantine question. So we're taking suggestions for this. Yes, the suggestion Num- box is open. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. That's, this is how influencers do it. Is go. that what we Yeah, do? this is the secret sauce. <laughs> the secret sauce. So we're one step closer. Yeah, there it's true. So do we have a question? We do. A former quarantine question? Elizabeth and I were working together before this podcast to figure out a question. And so a flashback to 2016. What are your guys' thoughts on clowns? Not afraid of them. Some people are afraid of clowns. They're, it's a serious thing. Actually. Yeah. No. Um. Not afraid of clowns. Okay. I think yeah. they're. I think they're like creepy. Like I, I mean, I think. like. I just think they're strange. But I'm not afraid of them. Like mm-hmm. if somebody jumped out at me wearing a clown costume, I'd probably be like, jump. Mm-hmm. I would probably jump a little <laughs> bit. But I wouldn't like scream. I don't think. No nightmares of clowns. No nightmares. Yeah. I. I have to agree. Uh, I guess I'm from that generation where clowns were fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you when know? you say clown, I think of, like, 
Ronald McDonald? Mm-hmm. Like, is that who you're talking about? Or I'm thinking uh, the the bozo, the clown, and throwing the ping pong balls in the buckets. Everything was good. You know? Yeah, yeah, so, life was good. There was nothing scary about that. Yeah, no doubt. Saturday morning television. It was not a uh, not a scary not thing. Scary. There were not clowns in the um, sewers at that point. No, so our that's weird a little balloons. Bit, that's... We had killer clowns when I was in high school. Yeah, so <laughs> that's my perception. And, of and it, it, it actually turned up like in person, and like yeah, people like, were people walking were, around like, being weird. Put yeah. Balloons over stor- storm yeah. drains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah, so. yeah. I I think probably mine's built a little bit on my generational perception, but <laughs> so, I am not afraid of generational clowns. perception. On yeah, clowns. I think so. Um, so to turn this on you, because we didn't know the quarantine question for this week, mm-hmm. but I think we have to ask you, okay. having interned for how many months now? Eight. It is August. <laughs> it's been eight, eight months. Eight, eight months. months of uh-huh. interning here at Missouri Farm Bureau. I guess we could say, what's your best and worst projects you've been a part oh, of? Oh, gosh. Ooh. I think the worst ones are going to be some that I've given her. I think so, too. <laughs> I would have to say probably I wouldn't say it was a terrible thing to do. It was just a monotonous thing. Would be rewriting the entire policy book. I think that qualifies. <laughs> I think it's like 211 pages, if I remember correctly. Not to be specific. It's a lot. Not to be specific. Not that she was counting. But I believe it was around 211 pages. So that would just, it took a lot less time than we thought. We yeah. will say that. I'm really good at typing now. Very efficient. <laughs> really Microsoft good at typing. <laughs> good job. But it's all good. All good. Um, my favorite project. Um, I really like looking at campaigns and stuff. So I think like working on like putting together biographies of like the different candidates was really cool and informative. Okay. So I would say that would be what I would. Good. Do. And you've gotten to go on a grand total of like two trips. Yeah. Because normally we take our normally interns out quite, around. Normally the it's state. a pretty good experience. Yeah. Normally it's a lot of fun, but you've gotten to go to two, on two trips. There we go. So tell us about bit. that. We went to Southwest Missouri for an endorsement session, so got to see a little bit more of Southwest Mo than I really ever would before. I was about to say, where else did The we? tractor cruise. The tractor yeah. cruise. Then we went to Northwest Missouri, also another place I would not normally go. So we got to see a lot of members there, and that was a really cool experience as well. Well, good. Yeah. Good. Well, whether or not you get to be on the podcast again, thank you for all <laughs> yes, of your time with you. us. You've done a great job filling in for Eric and helping host. But I, um, I think I echo everyone here in the office that you've been an incredible intern, and we've really appreciated having you. So hopefully we get to do it some more. And if we ever need to type the policy book again, we know who to call. Because no you're doubt. really good at typing. There we go. All right. I'm glad I could assist. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you.